turn to the book of Revelation, towards the back of your Bibles, last book of the Bible, Revelation. We are looking at the second church addressed in the seven letters to the, the churches. Today we will be covering the church that is at Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, we will start with verse 8. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, this is what we read. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you open up our eyes, open up our hearts, help us hear from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So right off the bat, we're following the same pattern that we've been following with the churches. And what you see is you get a picture of who Jesus is. It tells us something about the character of God. It tells us who Jesus is. Then you have the positive. Let's us know what this church is doing well. What does Jesus have to say? This church is getting right. But then you also have the problem. Except for this one. Except for this one. Did you notice a rebuke here from Christ? The God who has eyes of burning of fire, who sees everything, nothing is hidden. He has not one rebuke for this church. It's only one of two churches that there is no rebuke for. Then after the problem, you get to the pathway of what the church should do next. How the church should proceed And then each letter to each of the seven churches leave off with a promise. And so we're going to walk through this for this church of Smyrna, but just as a snapshot from last week. And if you haven't heard, you can look at our website and the messages are on there. You can look at the church at Ephesus. But the main point about last week, the church at Ephesus, is they had a heart that had left Jesus. They had a heart problem. They've lost their first love. And we saw that Jesus doesn't consider love as a feeling because he tells the church to repent and get back to work, doing what they did at first. And that's an encouragement to us. And we were challenged, maybe our hearts have grown cold in following Jesus. And the same thing that Jesus told the church at Ephesus, he's telling us today, repent. Turn from it, get back to loving Jesus. Love him more than anything this world has to offer. Love them with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then get back to doing the works that you did at first. But then you come to this church at Smyrna. And I don't know if we can identify with this church. A suffering, persecuted church. A church that knows poverty. I wonder if we can get there. So I think there is a warning that we have from here from God. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. 
But let's walk through and, and see what we have to learn from the church of Smyrna. Number one, the picture. You see this in verse 8. To the angel, the church of Smyrna, write this. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. That's Jesus. It points to how he is eternally the Son of God. He's always been, he is, and he always will be eternally the Son of God. He has the first word in which he created all things that were made. He has the last word in which he will make all things right. The first and the last. Isaiah 44 verse 6 says this. This is what the Lord says. Israel's King and Redeemer. The Lord Almighty, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's reminding this church of Smyrna. He is the first and the last. He is eternally God. He knows all. He sees all. We'll have the last word. Time is in his hands. He knows the beginning from the end and is working all things according to his plan. It's not by accident that this church is suffering right now. There's a point to their suffering. And he reminds them of that by saying, I am the first and the last. But then he goes on and points to his humanity. Not only is he the first and the last, but he's also he who died and came to life again. Which is very, very important. Because this church is suffering persecution and some of them will be put to death. But they know he who is first and last. They know he who was dead, but is now alive. And in him... They have power over the grave. What Jesus is communicating to this church is I am God and I am a God who is near and I am a God who understands and I am exactly what you need because I too was once crucified, dead and buried. But the grave is not the last word. Death is not final. I am alive. And so that's the, the picture that we have of Jesus from this church. And then we see the positive. And I go with the first part of verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Don't you love that picture? You see, the world identified this church as one thing, but Jesus, who knows all and sees all, identifies them another way. And I wonder how we would define successful churches. A lot of churches look the part. A lot of churches, like Ephesus, look good, but not to the one who sees all. And here you have this small church in a tough city, very popular city, and they're suffering. And yet Jesus says, you guys get it. You're rich. You see, they know... He who is first and last. They know he who will reward them with the crown of life. They know that they're living in light of eternity, not in just a few decades of years. And Jesus says, this suffering won't last, but you'll be with me forever. That's rich. So that's the positive, and then you, you get to the problem. This church in Philadelphia, one of two churches where there is no problem. Both churches are dealing with suffering and persecution, and they're hanging on. If you looked at all seven of these churches, I don't think you'd put Smyrna up there at the top of a church you'd want to belong to. We'll cover that just a, a little bit more in a little bit later. 
So there's no problem, but let's look at the pathway. So how do you get through suffering? Ben, what, what is God's word to this church who's suffering, being slandered, who's living in poverty? What's the answer? Well, verse 9, second part, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So what's the answer to suffering? What's the answer to persecution? What's the answer when life gets hard in following Jesus? The answer is not fear, but faithfulness. Jesus is saying, do not fear, but be faithful. You might go to prison do not fear, be faithful. You might be put to death, but do not fear, be faithful unto death. That's the answer. Be faithful. Why? Because death is not the final word. We will live for eternity somewhere. And the few years we have on earth pale in comparison to eternity. You know, to get in at Burlington Elementary back in the day, kindergarten, I had to get a booster shot. And they put it in my leg, and I couldn't walk for a day. You know how often I think about that shot? Not much anymore. Not much anymore. It was painful, but it's nothing compared to kindergarten and first grade and second grade and through the years. You experience other pain. It's a little bit more severe. But you know what? When I was in kindergarten, that seemed to be dreadful. If I could just avoid that shot, I'd be all right. Can I get to kindergarten without this booster shot? You know, it pales in comparison, but death is like that. We're so afraid of death, but if we really believe what the Bible teaches, Jesus calls it sleep and you wake up in his presence. Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. You want to get through suffering? You don't fear it. You be faithful. Now, I, I want to say just a couple of things and put in some parentheses here because I, I want us to be careful. Uh, number one, you, you see the, the comments made of the Jews, right? And people have twisted Scripture to use this for anti-Semitism. It's not what the text is talking about. What is happening is Satan is using a people to do his work. And they say, hey, you're slandering the church, and Satan's going to use that to throw these people into prison. And you know what? Satan's doing the same thing today. He can use either political party to slander his church. He can use any social media that he wants to slander his church. There's a lot of synagogues of Satan around today, slandering Christians. And so I want us to be careful. Our outlook with Jews is the same as Paul. We wish that all of them be saved and that they know Jesus and that they have eternal life in his name and that they turn to the true and living God. And so I want to put that caveat in because what you see here, the, the slander and the affliction comes from two ways, two avenues. One is the Romans. They live in Smyrna, which was awarded a temple for the Roman gods. They were the, the city that won. If, if, I think Cincinnati's trying to put in a bid for the Olympic host cities 
uh, or for World Cup, and every once in a while you put your city up and you hope you, you win that. Well, here, Smyrna put up with six other cities, hey, we want to be the place, we are the best friends of Rome, where you can put up a temple to your Caesars, and we'll make images and we can worship Caesar. Well, Smyrna, a port city, a very important city, won that. Well, guess what Christians don't do? They don't bow down to Caesar. They don't call Caesar Lord. And so they were ostracized, they were kicked out, they didn't get the jobs that they wanted because you had to be loyal to Rome. But then there was this another group, the religious group, who would slander the Christians, saying not only do they not call Caesar Lord, they follow a different Lord, which is true. They follow Jesus. And so the Jews would tell the Romans, and then the Romans would put them into prison. And the response here from Jesus is to not be afraid, but to be faithful. That's easy to say. That's hard to live. Right? For me, up here preaching this morning, I'm not worried about anybody coming in and arresting me. But let's say we lived in Smyrna, and we'd have to meet a little bit earlier. We can't meet in broad daylight. We'd have to meet secretly. And then if word got out, and people came in and arrested me, I'd be gone from supporting my family. Well, that's not going to go well. See how fear could creep in? Easy to say, hard to live. Now, we live in a day with so many freedoms, but it's coming. It's coming. Persecution is coming for the church in the United States. You believe a certain way about biblical marriage, husband and a wife, slander is coming. You believe that life begins at conception, well then you don't care about women, slander is coming. You believe that Jesus is the only way, well you're narrow-minded, slander is coming. And when persecution breaks out, where will we stand. Will we live in fear or will we be faithful? There was an interesting quote. John Piper puts it this way. This is what was happening in Smyrna 1900 years ago and it's still happening. When Christianity goes really public in a pagan world, instead of remaining in our safe, isolated, comfortable sanctuaries, the opposition labels us as mistaken, not as mistaken, but as evil and dangerous. The ironic and tragic response of many Christians in that atmosphere of conflict is to simply disappear and to think they are doing God a favor by stirring up no opposition to his name. That's not the way the Christians in Smyrna responded. Jesus said in verse 10 that some would soon be cast into prison and that they would be tested to the point of death, all brought on by slander, by people who stood up and called them names. Jesus' counsel to them was not to lay low and disappear. His counsel was to be faithful unto death. And I'll give you the crown of life. That's how I pray I will respond when that day comes. Will you? That's the pathway. But then they are also given a promise, not only the crown of life, but Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And that is referring to, in Revelation 20, we see lake of fire, hell for eternity. Spiritually, eternally, physically separated 
from God forever. I think a pretty good summary of this was in uh, Piper's sermon. He says, things are worse than they appear and better than they appear for this church. And he said two things that were worse than they thought. One was the church is afflicted in poverty and being slandered, and they knew this. But it's worse than they originally thought because, he goes on and says, what they may not know is that the devil is behind their suffering, and it will result in some of them going to prison and may even cost them their lives. So they knew they were struggling, but they didn't know how much more was coming. So it might be worse than it appears, but he goes on to say it is way better than it also seems. He gives six reasons. Number one, Jesus is the first and the last. His word will stand, not the slander. Say what you want about his church. Jesus knows the truth, and he will make it right. Not only is he first and last, but he's died and rose from the grave. Death has been defeated, and all who are in Christ has also defeated the grave. Not just that. Number three, Jesus knows about their situation. He's present. He's present. One of the best verses, and this is just my thought. Here's this church, afflicted, persecuted, slandered, about to go through the ringer of persecution. And if you see that in verse 9, I know... I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Jesus isn't a God who is far off, who doesn't know about his church. He knows the details. He knows about the meetings. He knows about the motivations. He knows about the persecution. He knows about the poverty. And he says, I know. You think Jesus knows a little bit about suffering? You think Jesus knows a little bit about mistreatment? You think he knows about laying down his life, being faithful to the point of death? Absolutely. He sets the example. Jesus is faithful unto death. He knows what this church is going through. He doesn't leave them. He encourages them to be faithful. So not only is he the first and last, not only did he die but rose from the grave, not only does he know he's present, he also says they are rich in prison, through persecution, even in death. They have an inheritance that cannot be touched. You can't touch what they got. You can't take it away. You can threaten their lives, but you can't touch eternity. You can't touch Christ. And he's all theirs. They are rich. Number five, Jesus says they will receive the crown of eternal life. No more pain, no more suffering, no more depression, frustration, poverty, tears, slander, shame, discouragement. Only joy, peace, and God forever and ever and ever. That's rich. And then finally, they're not touched by the second death. And I love this statement that Piper made. He says, God is not mainly in the business of sparing us from the first death or the pain that leads to it, but he is utterly devoted to rescuing us from the second death interesting how many of you guys have heard of a man named polycarp polycarp older guy lived one of the first martyrs recorded in history outside of the new testament polycarp guess what city he's from smyrna you want to know a few verses that i think were ingrained on his head and heart this letter to his church you see, after John went through and delivered these letters and they got to Smyrna, my guess is this guy read this letter. 
And he was faithful to Christ, spreading his word, defending the gospel, making sure you don't twist who Jesus is. He was solid and not bowing down to any of the emperors. But that wasn't good enough. What, what Jesus said was coming came for him. Now, you've got to understand, Polycarp is in his 80s. And he's staying in this city, and the church is saying, Listen, man, you've got to get out of here. They're going to put you in jail. They're going to kill you. You've got to leave. He wouldn't leave. Eventually, he was talked into going outside of the city, out to a town, out to a farm. And they're saying, That's not far enough. He goes, That's too far. And eventually, they find him. And they bring him to what would be called like a sheriff. And the sheriff says, listen, you can spare your life. All you have to do is say the right things. It doesn't matter. Just call Caesar Lord. And Polycarp goes, I've been following Jesus all of my life, these 86 years. Why would I blaspheme Jesus now? So the sheriff didn't work. Well, then they get to the pro-council. Pro-council threatens them. Say, hey, don't you understand? We can throw you to the wild beasts. No, eat you up. You're going to recant. You're going to go to the wild beasts. Polycarp's same response. I'm going to be faithful. Well, then the townspeople found out they didn't have any wild beasts to throw them to. So they said, we're going to burn you alive. And his response to them was amazing. And this is where I think he understands a second death. He goes, your fire will last for but an hour, and then it'll be quenched. But you have no idea about the fire that awaits the ungodly. And then, and then he starts talking a little bit of trash, I think. He goes, but whatever you're going to do, why are you still waiting? Let's get to it. And they lead him out. They set him ablaze. Lays his life down. Now, here's my question. Do you think he succumbed to fear? Or do you think he heard these words and remained faithful? Faithful unto death. What a testimony. So his name, Polycarp. You can, you can look him up. You could do research. But my guess is he knew the word and he lived the word. This was one of the letters to him. But you want to know what? It's just as important for us today. I want to be faithful unto Christ. If it costs me my job at school, I want to be faithful to Christ. If it costs me a promotion, I want to be faithful to Christ. If it costs me a time in the jail cell, I want to be faithful unto Christ. Don't want to be fearful. I want to be faithful. Philippians 1, 20 and 23, 20 to 23 says this. And this is where we're going to apply this. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. So, so what's Paul's main aim here? That Christ is exalted whether he's living or dying. And listen, that's ours. If that's not yours, you don't know Jesus as Lord. This has to be a true statement. Jesus is our life. And our goal as a Christian is to make much of Jesus with my life and my dying. And then he goes on to say, verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's how he's exalted in our bodies. So whether you're coaching, or you're teaching, or you're golfing, or you're watching something on television, or you're eating with your family, or you're attending church, your aim is to exalt Jesus. 
And then to die is gain. Why? Because you get what you're living for. And he tells us that later on down, verse 23, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. That's why it's better. That's why it's gain. The moment we breathe our last, those in Christ get to be with Christ forever. And that's better than anything this world has to offer. And so that's where I want us to apply. You want to be faithful and not fearful? This is how. You live and to live is Christ and you die and you see death as gain. So three application points. Number one, when living is Christ and dying is gain, we will be rich. When living is Christ, my whole point of living is to make much of Jesus, and I see death as gain, then you will be rich. And, and this is what I, I mean. Matthew, I think, helps us here in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Store up treasures where? Store up treasures where? In heaven, where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. All that stuff doesn't last. But then you see in chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to be rich towards God, it's not going to be an accumulation of stuff. It's going to be living for the glory of Christ, treasuring Jesus. That's how you're rich. You want to find the treasure in the field that's worth selling everything, and then in your joy going back to the field and finding the treasure. That's Jesus. That's how you will be rich. Now, this is where I, I say it's hard for us to identify with the church in Smyrna. Now, we don't have 15 people on staff here. We have zero full-time employees. We don't have multi-million dollar buildings. We don't have light shows or smoke machines. We don't have a ton of programs. So you could say we're not a wealthy church. We're not a rich church in America. As a matter of fact, I would argue differently. You, you want to know what this morning? I had a choice. I could go to McDonald's, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Burger King for coffee. And on a commercial yesterday, Taco Bell has coffee now. Don't know how good it is. Options. Any of those places for coffee. This morning, walking in. When I got dressed, I had options. Different shirts, different pants. When I drove to school or drove to church, didn't have too many options, but I had a vehicle, which means what? I could afford gas. Gas isn't cheap. They're not giving that away. But I got here. When I got here, you want to know what I did first? Walked through downstairs and turned on AC units, right? Because it's important that it's not too hot in here or else we'll suffer. And then in the winter... We've got to be careful as we get too cold and we'll suffer, so we turn on the heat. Then I got to my office. I have a personal AC unit in the window in my office. Life is good. Life is good. And, and so I would make the argument, man, materially-wise, earthly-wise, we are rich. But you want to know what scares me? I wonder how rich we are towards God. I wonder how rich we are towards God. You want to know what we need to be a healthy church? No more stuff. We need the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God to take the message out to the world. That's all we need. That's all we need. I'll show you another church. We, uh, 
And you don't have to go to Benin to see this, but this church reminds me a little bit of Smyrna. This church reminds me a little bit of Smyrna in Benin. Uh, the posts you can barely see, those posts we carried from the bush country. Now, I saw Doe Phil carry one. Doe Phil was not a large guy. Evan, can you stand up real quick? Doe Phil was about Evan's size. Evan, he puts this branch on his head, carrying it with it, going to the little village. Thank you, you can sit down. And you can see the beams in there. They're just trees that they've cut off. Well, Doe Phil's carrying that on his head, getting to the village where it is. I'm still back in the bush country, and they cut down the next log. And obviously, I don't know phone, the, the chi language, and I'd say, I'll take that. And they're like, no, no. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll carry that. I'll put it on my shoulder. And I start to carry this thing, and I think, I'm not going to make it. I start sweating. I think I'm going to pass out. As I make the turn, I set the log down, thinking, man, at least I can still keep my dignity here. Catching my breath, trying to figure out how I'm going to get there. Luckily, another guy comes, and we carry it, carrying logs to build this. You want to know what? They don't have any AC. They don't have many choices on what to wear. You want to know what they do have? The voodoo in the village coming after them, telling them to stop worshiping Jesus, quit drawing people to Jesus. They have Islam coming down from the north, saying, mm, we're not worshiping Jesus in this village. There's a threat to them physically. They understand poverty. You want to know what, Rick? I have not had bush rat since 2012 in Benin. Right? But when you're hungry, you eat. But you want to know what this church isn't struggling. You want to know why? Because the people that show up love Jesus. I was reading or I heard a message. Uh, there was a missionary from the Far East from India, and he came to North America, visited this pastor, and, and this pastor said, man, I don't understand how you do it. You have a billion people in your country, you're trying to reach them, you don't have the resources that we have, and this missionary says, no, you, you got it wrong, I don't know how you do it. And he goes, how do you understand who's real? There's no cost to show up. Are we rich towards God? Are you living to exalt Jesus in every area of your life. The thoughts before you go to sleep, how you speak to your children, how you speak to your spouse, how you serve in the community, how you serve at church, is your goal to live as Christ and to die as gain. Then, then we will be rich. Number two, when living as Christ and dying as gain, we have nothing to fear. And I have a picture of Jim Elliott. Um, Jim Elliott and these four other guys risked their lives to go to the Aka Indian tribe in Ecuador. And they knew what was on the line. The, the Aka Indians had been killing other members in different tribes around in Ecuador. There was an oil company close to their village, and they attacked the oil company, and the oil company closed out of fear for their lives. And Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and these guys understood the only way that these people will ever change is if we get the gospel to them. Their eternity is in the balance. Someone's got to go. But, but if you love your life, you're not going to them. It's dangerous. You'd risk it. But if you're living for Christ and dying is gain, then you don't operate out of a spirit of fear. 
You go where God leads. Now, I'm not saying you have to go to Ecuador to live for Christ. What I am saying is you can't be fearful to what other people may say. Following Jesus will cost you. Following Jesus will cost you. But don't be afraid. We know the one who conquered the grave. Who can anybody, what can anybody do to us? I think it was, yeah, it was Jesus who said, Do not fear one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill body and soul in hell. Be fearful of God. Be in awe of Jesus. And do exactly what he called you to do. No matter what comes your way. It's interesting that these five guys went... Um, and Nate Saint was a pilot. Now, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a pretty cool uh, missionary talent. He was a pilot. He trained pilots. And he said, you want to know one way we could try to make a friendly interaction with the Aka Indians? We can drop off gifts. And we can say on a loudspeaker friendly phrases in their language. And they did this for months. They even got a gift back in a basket. And they thought they were okay. And then one day they landed one by one on a beach close to the village. They made first contact, shared a meal. Language was tough. They were trying to figure out the different languages. And then the three Aka Indians left, and they came back a couple days later with warriors. And the warriors killed all five missionaries. Faithful unto death. But then what else is promised? Crown of life. Eternal life. So those five men we'll see again one day. But you want to know what happened? Their wives, their sisters, their children didn't say, forget this, I'm gone. They stayed. And they won the villagers to Christ. Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint, went back to that tribe. The man who killed his father is their grandpa. The, the man who killed Saint's dad adopted the son into his family after coming to Christ. How does that happen? That would never happen if you operate out of fear. Only faithfulness. And then the, the third thing, and this is, this is where we'll finish. To live as Christ and to die as gain, we will receive the crown of life. Just for sake of time, we'll skip on down. Hebrews uh, 12, 2 through 4 says this. This is... This is Jesus. Remember his example. He says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see, his eyes were past the suffering, past the pain, to what was next. And you want to know one way you can be motivated by faith and not fear is if you have your eyes on the crown that is coming, the reward that will come. Put it this way, and, and you guys have seen this. Francis Chan made this illustration famous. Um, it's just a rope, and, and it goes on and on. Let's pretend this rope goes on and on around the globe. There's no end to this rope, right? And right here, you, you see the, the tape. And this would represent life in the backdrop of eternity, right? And what we see, crown of life, eternal life, this is really long. And yet, we get so focused on the years we have here. Let's say God blesses us with an extraordinary long life, and we make it 120 years. 
This is nothing compared to this. And yet we are consumed with this little bit. We're so afraid of how we can make much here and not here. And this is what I mean by be focused on the crown of life. That's the reward we want, eternal life. This is what this looks like. It doesn't mean you work really, really hard to get to here so you can have a lot of happiness right here in retirement. It makes zero sense if the crown of life, eternal life, is your focus. This is what I'm living for, not the few years I have here. I know what reward I'm getting, and it doesn't have to be a lot of money. In, in 100 years, right now, a lot of money does me no good. You want to know who does me a lot of good? Jesus. That's where I want to spend my life focused on. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And when that happens, the crown of life is mine. And guess what? Guess what? It's also yours. That's exactly what Paul tells us. He said, hey, I've run my race. I fought my fight. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, eternal life coming my way. But then he goes, not just for me only, but for all who long for his appearing. That could be you. It is me. So when you look at this church, persecuted, suffering, poor church in Smyrna, realize they're rich. And then there's some decisions that we have to make. There's some decisions. When you see this church, you've watched the film. Now let's apply it to our church. First decision. First decision. Am I rich towards God? Am I storing up treasures in heaven? Or am I too focused on this life? Number two, or number three, am I operating out of fear or faithfulness? If you're going to live for Christ and you're going to see dying as gain, that fear will melt away and faithfulness will replace it. And then, most importantly, have you made a decision to follow Jesus? He was the first and the last who was dead but now is alive. And you can have life in his name. A crown of life can be yours. And it comes through Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for what you are doing here. Lord, thank you for the the challenge that we see from your words to Smyrna. Father, I pray that you help us apply it to our lives. Make the decisions you've called us to this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.